0: So this morning, like Jamie said, we have the privilege of hearing from Chris. Um, I heard this on Thursday, and it's so, so good. We can never hear the gospel enough, so I'm actually going to stay today and listen again because it's so good. Um, but before she comes up, we're just going to talk about, like Jamie said, a phrase that we use a lot in Wellspring, shepherd your heart, just to make sure that we all are on the same page and we all understand what that means. Um So I'm going to start by reading a real news story that actually happened that aptly tells us why sheep need a shepherd. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. Sheep are dumb. (laughs) I mean, can you picture that? One sheep right after another just walking off a cliff and falling to their deaths. It's almost comical if it didn't hit quite so close to home. Many times in scripture, God is referred to as our shepherd And we are his sheep. So if we are his sheep, then we obviously need a good shepherd to watch over us. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is desperately wicked. And the Bible tells us over and over that our hearts are naturally inclined to wickedness and evil. So what is the heart? The heart is your inner man. It's who you are in reality before God. How you live... The choices that you make and the words that you say reveal what's in your heart. So when we've been redeemed by the Lord, when we've been saved, we've been given new hearts. But those hearts still need to be guided and shepherded because we live in a mixed condition. If that term is confusing, just wait. Chris is going to explain it in a little bit. Though we now have new hearts and we are able to please God, there's a fight going on within us. I'm sure you know what I mean. There's residual sin still in our bodies, and therefore we have to battle that indwelling sin and live in such a way that glorifies our Lord. So how do we do that? We shepherd our hearts. We need to work at guiding our hearts away from sin, away from sinful thoughts, and to thoughts and actions that bring honor to our Lord. Shepherding our hearts is not passive. It's daily, hourly, and sometimes minute by minute an action on our part To live a life that shows that we have a new identity in Christ. So there are two main times in which you need to shepherd your heart. When you're in the word and when you're not. That's all the time. (laughs) So daily, we heard Scott talk about this last time. Daily we need to position ourselves before the word to see our need for God. Spending time in God's word is meeting with the God of the word. And hearing from our good shepherd. That's one aspect of shepherding our hearts. The time that we spend in God's word lays the foundation for the rest of our day. There's lots of different methods for spending time in God's word. But the most important part is that we're meeting worshipfully with God in his word. So, what about the time when you're not sitting with the Bible open in your lap? Are you still able to shepherd your heart? Yes. Must you still shepherd your heart? Yes, most definitely, yes. Anne Angstead uses a term to refer to shepherding your heart that I love, and she calls it thinking biblically. Because how you think affects your spiritual stability. It's not how you think about yourself. It's not how you think about your problems. It's how you think about God and what he has to say about you and your problems. So practically, start with the gospel right? We're going to hear a lot about this this morning. The gospel is the power of God. It's the good news that you were dead and you were made alive. You deserved eternal separation. You've been given hope of a future and glory forever with God. The gospel is that God clothed you with his righteousness and you didn't deserve it. So what is preaching the gospel to yourself do? Preaching the gospel to yourself will strengthen your love for God. It'll cause you to desire him, to draw near to him through his word, and it will increase your humility. It will inspire you to thank God, to worship him. It'll move you to mercy for others, to be patient and gracious and forgiving. It will cause you to grieve over the seriousness of sin. Preaching the gospel to yourself will cause you to love the lost. And it will urge you to share the good news of the gospel with them. And it will remind you of your deep reliance on God. Preaching the gospel to yourself will give you hope for eternity, which in turn will enable your hearts to thrive even during the most difficult and lengthy trials. If we truly understand the predicament of our heart, we will see the need to be in God's word on a regular basis. The more we embrace and experience the gospel, the more we delight in the worship of God. Then the more expressive our joy in him becomes, then the more we yearn to glorify him in all we say and do. So let's recap. What is shepherding your heart? Shepherding your heart is recognizing the waywardness of your own heart and leading it to truth. It's dragging your heart to scripture to see what the good shepherd has to say. It's guarding your heart against sin. It's cultivating a right view of God. It's repenting of sin throughout the day and preaching the gospel realities to yourself. There are multiple ways and times in which to shepherd your heart. You can do it when your Bible is open, when you're meeting with God and his word, but you also need to do it throughout the day. It's not something that you do in the morning and then move on and forget about it. We shepherd our hearts by shepherding our thoughts and our thoughts, should be a reflection of the way that God thinks. And obviously, we find out what God thinks by being in his word. So let's talk about some practical ways to shepherd our hearts throughout the day, right? Obviously, start with God's word. Memorize scripture. <clears throat> Write verses on your bathroom mirror or on an index card in your purse. Listening to worship music and singing praises to God, filling your mind with music that glorifies the Lord. Listening to sermons or podcasts that cause you to think rightly fellowship with other believers, serving others, and remembering to always keep eternity in view. This world is not our home. It's temporary. And we were put here with a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God in all we say and do. So now that we understand what it means to shepherd our hearts, turn your notebook over, and let's review our Wellspring disciplines. Before we start, I just want to say that nobody that stands up here, least of all me, has this all figured out. (laughs) We are all learning and growing and needing to discipline ourselves every single day. So discipline one is the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. So we hear some very familiar words, because this is just what we were talking about. To be a faithful woman of God you must shepherd your heart toward God. It's not an option. Again, we shepherd our heart with the word of God, with the gospel. Discipline one is vital. I like to think of our disciplines as building blocks. You can't stack piece three on the top of your tower if piece one is broken or weak or missing. You can't move on to care for those in your household if you haven't cared well for your heart. You can't care well for those in the church if you haven't cared well for your heart. The way to think biblically, like we talked about earlier, is to fill your mind with God's thoughts. And God's thoughts are in the word of God. So you must daily drag your heart before the word of God. Again, this is an action. It's not passive. It's not something that just happens to you. Let's move on to discipline two. The home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. Once you have shepherded your heart well, then you are able to minister to those in your home well. You're able to think biblically about the people, whether they be big people or little people, trials, sins, etc., in your home, because you have filled your mind with truth from God's word. We can't expect to be able to care well for our husbands or our children or our roommates or our siblings or our parents if we haven't cared well for our own hearts. Discipline three, ministry. With a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. That first phrase is very important. Let's look at it again. With a heart fixed on God, that's discipline one. Keeping her ministry within her home a priority, discipline two. So discipline three starts out by reminding us to not leapfrog over discipline one and two. So remember our building blocks that we talked about, right? Once you've shepherded your heart well and then cared for those in your home well, then you can step into the church and minister well to those outside your home. Ministry can happen in church on Sunday. It can happen at small group. It can happen at Wellspring. It can happen at the park, at the grocery store, at school, at work, on the phone, while delivering a meal to a new mom, while praying with a hurting friend, rejoicing with a sister. Ministry can even happen over text message. Ministry happens when we practice caring for one another and when we encourage one another with the word of God, which again is a reminder that we must be filling our minds With the Word of God. How can we expect to encourage others with the Word if we haven't first cared well for our own hearts? Ministry happens when we pray with one another, when we serve one another, when we forgive one another, when we show hospitality to one another, and so on. So, this is the purpose of Wellspring. Here is where we want to equip and encourage you to shepherd your heart with the Word of God so that you can be disciplined to care well for those in your home and then minister to those in the church and that is what strengthens the body of christ and that is what furthers the gospel in our world so let's pray and then chris will come on up. <clears throat> father god you are so good to us and you have left us your word i pray that we would see it as the treasure that it is that we would make it a discipline to be in it that we would worship you that we would love you more, that you would increase our humility. God, um, you are our Savior, and you are our Lord, and you um, have given us the greatest gift of all, which is salvation through your Son. God, we are undeserving, and I pray that we would listen humbly this morning um, to hear what Chris has to say about the good news, about the gospel. I pray that you would give her clarity of speech, Um, that you would give her endurance while she is up here, God, and that your word, most of all, would be proclaimed. I pray for the rest of us as we leave from here today that we would not forget what we have heard, that we would desire to live in such a way that magnifies your name in our world, um, not our own. God, we love you so much. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Melissa.
1: All right, Just let me just remind you, um, Jamie already went over, but when you came in this morning, you got that big stack of papers. So the colored papers, I'm just going to ask you to just put aside this morning, okay? You won't need those until you get home. And then, as Jamie mentioned, there are two different options. You can either um, take out the blue brochure, and we're going to go through that this morning, or if you want to take notes, that other one, the same material, um, but it's a little bit easier to take notes on it. So... um, I'll uh, walk you through uh, those other papers, Um, so you don't need both of those, but I would just choose whichever one that you prefer. So the last time that you met, Scott came in and um, helped us to see how Wellspring fits into the church's vision and purpose. Wellspring, we could say, stands between the biblical vision and the gospel purpose of the church. Wellspring exists to help us to become more consistent in gazing on the glory of God in the, cro- in the cross of Christ. He mentioned we cannot glorify God in our lives without first drinking in God's impressive glory. And that's revealed to us in his word. That's why we have the Bible reading plan, so that we can plan on drinking in his glory he reminded us that we are sent ones wherever God places us and that we are part of the church, the whole body causing the growth of the body. And thank you, Melissa, for sharing the disciplines with us. Did, did you notice as you heard the disciplines that all of them focus on the heart that ought to help us understand our great need to shepherd our heart? and God's great provision for us. And so in our lesson this morning, we are going to look at that. We're going to look at what God has done for us in the gospel to provide for our greatest need. So I want you to go ahead and take out either the brochure or um, the outline this morning, and uh, we're going to go through that because it is it is packed full of truths that will help us to be able to speak truth to our own hearts and to help others when trials come when we're dealing with really hard things or sometimes it's just the annoyances of life that can catch us off guard when we're tempted to doubt God these truths are going to are what going to are what going to that will help us to shepherd our hearts back to the truth and they will give us hope as we seek to live in a manner that is worthy of our calling. So let's look together at God's transformation of man from the unregenerate to heavenly. These are states and events in the believer's life. So essentially what we have in this chart is the gospel. We're going to look at God's great salvation work in the gospel. Because the gospel isn't something that we need merely for salvation. Understanding the gospel affects how we live as believers. It is the foundation for shepherding our heart. So again, the blue brochure is um, in a form that folds up. And you can just keep that in your Bible, maybe in, your, in uh, a journal. We put it in that form so that it would be easy to use. And that is our hope, that you would use it often. Our desire is that it would be a really good tool for you, a useful tool for shepherding your heart and for preaching the gospel to yourself. Um, So, um, again, just choose whichever one you want, and uh, we're going to go through it now. So, clearly, either one of those that you're looking at, there is a lot of information So what we're not going to do is we're not going to cover every single thing in that brochure, okay? But what I really want to do is I want to help you understand what's there in general terms and how you can use this to shepherd your heart, okay? But you get to dig into many of the details on your own. And so I really would encourage you to use this in your time with the Lord, in prayer, in prayer, And perhaps even with others. It's a great way to encourage each other. Now, for those of you uh, in this room who have taken Wellspring before, and that certainly is the majority of you, I think it would be so helpful um, as you go through this to ask yourselves how am I using these truths to shepherd my heart? How am I caring for others with these gospel realities? How, am I, um, how are these truths becoming more and more deeply rooted in my heart? And how are they bearing the fruit of an obedient gospel-transformed life in me? Am I experiencing more joy, even in the really hard times, knowing that God has provided for me in this life and the one to come? So as we go over this, we need to be thinking about how we can grow more in using these truths to watch over, to guard our hearts. I know for me, I need to hear these truths year after year. It's so helpful to sharpen my focus on the riches in the gospel and to let the gospel saturate my heart. So I would like the, um, this morning to just begin by doing a quick overview of this. Uh, so if you just look across the top, um, where you see people, that represents a condition of man, or we could say a state of man. So there's the gray figure on the left, and then the three gray to yellow figures in the center, and then finally an all-yellow figure on the very right. And each has a description underneath in blue that describes that condition. Okay, and notice across the top that the figures have both an inner man and an outer shell. So the inner man is who we are at the heart level. And Lisa touched on this this morning. It's how God sees us. Okay, and then the outer shell represents our physical bodies or what the Bible refers to as our members, okay? There are hands, our eyes, our mouths, all of the ways that we express what is in our hearts. And then in between the figures, you see some dark gray triangles. All of these triangles represent events, things that happen at a point in time. Okay, once e- Once each event has happened, you can never go back. This diagram only moves from left to right. And then the descriptions of those events are down at the bottom of the chart. So if you follow that dark gray pathway from the triangle on the top all the way to the bottom, that's where the event is described. And we just put it that way because that's where there was room to put it at the bottom. But the sequence of events you see across the top. So on the left panel, you see the unregenerate man. Okay, that's who we were before Christ we were apart from Christ it's who anyone is apart from Christ and then the rest of the chart shows what happens to a believer so the unregenerate person um, the one on the left becomes a regenerate person through the event of regeneration okay, we're talking about conversion When a person becomes a Christian through the gospel. Because people like this over on the left need only one thing. They need the gospel to transform them. They need to be born again. So then moving to the right, that center panel, you see three gray to yellow figures representing the condition of the regenerate man. Okay, that's the believer. That is, that's what the Bible calls the new creation or the new man. That represents our condition right now in the Christian life. Here the inner man is fundamentally different than the unregenerate man. And we're going to see that more clearly in our lesson this morning. The regenerate man is in the process of changing. That's why you see the color of the figures changing from gray to yellow as you move to the right. And then continuing to the right, we have death. Okay, that's another event. This triangle represents the physical death of the believer. And then after death, you see a completely yellow figure without an outer shell. In other words, there is no body. Though the outer man is dead, the inner man continues to live. And you see that this figure is all yellow, Okay, at, this, at that point, we will no longer be dealing uh, or fighting against sin because we'll be with Jesus. And then to the right of that, you see the triangle for resurrection or rapture. These are both events. The word rapture refers to what's described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It's when Christ comes back again and he catches up believers in the air to be with him. First, those who have died, that's the resurrection, followed by those who are alive, that's what is called the rapture. And then you can see that we will be in a condition with a glorified body. Okay, so now we get to go back again and talk in more detail about what God has done in the gospel and how we can use this to shepherd our hearts. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians 2. We're going to start with who we were before Christ. Again, who anyone is apart from Jesus. So if you look at that first blue box, which says the unregenerate man, okay, these verses in Ephesians describe who a person is without Jesus. It describes all of us before the gospel impacted our lives and made us new. That was our identity. So let's start in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you see that on the chart. It says dead in sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. And so next we have walks in sins on the chart according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. And you see that on the chart, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Ephesians 2.12 says that we were without hope and we were without God. Okay, that was our condition. Colossians 1.13 tells us that we were in the domain of darkness. We were under the authority and the power of darkness. We were under the control of darkness, and it blinded us from seeing our lost condition and the spiritual danger that we were in. Titus 3.3 says, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, and deceived. That's why we couldn't understand how truly lost we were. We were deceived. And Titus continues, we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Sin ruled every part of who we were. Romans 6 tells us that we were slaves to sin. Sin was master over us. We had nothing within us to fight against it, nor did we even have the desire to fight against it. So now if you look at, that third, at the third column in that first panel where you see key descriptions of this old condition, you'll see that we were in an unmixed condition. Now what do we mean by that? We were unmixed in regards to death. Okay, we weren't mostly dead. We were completely dead. There was no trace of spiritual life in us. Okay, we saw that this summer as we went through the book of Romans, right? And we're going to continue to see that. We were unmixed in regard to hostility toward God. There was no trace in us of honor for him. We were unmixed in our rule for self-love, for self-rule and our hatred for God's rule. We were unable to battle indwelling sin, to shepherd our hearts away from sin and to God. And because of that, we were, and this is the the final key description, we were under God's wrath and judgment. There is a penalty for sin. Think about what we've just seen. We were hostile toward God, the creator, the ruler of all things. How could God be just and not punish that? How could he not judge us? God has holy, righteous wrath against sin. There is a penalty, a judgment that will come, and it must be paid. Now, for those who never turn to Christ in repentance and faith, they will bear that wrath themselves for all eternity in hell. For those of us who have been saved out of this condition, out of this state, it's good for us to be reminded of who we were because it helps us to shepherd our hearts. How? How do we shepherd our hearts with these truths? And I'm going to ask this question after each section on the chart. Because asking ourselves this question after each section is going to be one of the most practical parts of today's lesson. And so we put these examples on one of those colored handouts that I had you put aside this morning. Okay, you don't need it in front of you, but I just want you to know that it's there so you're not scrambling trying to write all of these examples down as I talk about them. So how do we shepherd our hearts with these truths? First and foremost, these truths help us shepherd our hearts to God in worship, in humility, and thanksgiving. That he would save a wretch like me. Remembering who we were magnifies the greatness of God's love for us in the gospel. And that will fuel our love for him. And it will draw us near to him through his word. And these truths are a tremendous help in shepherding our heart to extend mercy toward others when others sin. Rather than being personally offended by their sin, we can remind ourselves of our own great sin from which God rescued us. And we can be grieved over the sin, but patient and gracious and forgiving toward the sinner. When we shepherd our hearts in that way, we might even be God's instrument to help rescue the sinner, to help that one repent. And finally, we can let these truths of who we were apart from Christ drive us to proclaim the love of God in the gospel to the lost. Because if his love was powerful enough to save us, We know it's powerful enough to save anyone. So when we preach the gospel to our hearts, when we shepherd our hearts, we need to remember who we were before God saved us and to remember that we were once dead in our sin, without hope and without God. Can I just encourage you to take some time this week and soak in some of these verses and then let them become a consistent part of your heart shepherding. Okay, now we get to look at God's answer, his solution to the condition of the unregenerate man. We get to talk about regeneration, and you'll see the regeneration represented by the first gray triangle at the top of the chart. Okay, that triangle, again, is pointing down to the bottom where the regeneration event is described. So how does a person ever escape that condition of death that we just looked at? God regenerates us. Regeneration means new birth. We're talking about the beginning of new life in Christ when we are declared righteous. And you see that down at the bottom on the right. So God's solution for us in that spiritually dead, unmixed condition that we were in was not to try and somehow clean it up or fix it up, right? There wasn't anything worthy in it for that. No, he starts over. He causes us to be born again. As we look at this event, what is key is that all of this has been accomplished by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now as we look at this section, there may be some unfamiliar words, but they're important because they help describe what God did when He saved us. And so we're going to go over them so that when you come across them as you're reading your Bibles, okay, you'll know what they mean. And I trust that it's going to give us an even greater understanding of God's amazing <laughs> salvation work. So, what is God's solution to man's unmixed rebellion towards Him? Let's look at that regeneration event component at the bottom. It's in the second column. These are once and for all time events. They're accomplished by God for the believer at conversion. Ephesians two five tells us that even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. Christ. Okay, he didn't just make us alive off somewhere on our own, but spared from hell. No, when he gave us new life, he made us alive together with Christ. And then he also gave us positional sanctification. God has once and for all set believers apart, apart from sin and apart for God. Now, the word sanctification is used in two different ways in the New Testament. It's used to describe this positional declaration of holiness by God that God does at the time of salvation. Okay, then it's also used to describe the, the process of our becoming holy. And we're going to look at that as we get to that next blue section. But here, as we talk about the gospel event of regeneration, we're talking about positional sanctification. That means that God, once and for all, in an event, declared us to be holy in his sight. This is God's solution to all that we were before, all that we saw in that left-hand column. The unregenerate man, okay, that man, that woman is anything but holy. We needed to be taken out of that state. God needed to give us new life, and God needed to make us holy before him. So let's keep going. What is God's answer to what we were? The next thing listed is justification. God's answer to that old condition that we were in is to declare us to be righteous on the basis of faith alone to justify us on the basis of Christ's sinless record. And what else do we see on the chart? You see where it says imputation. Okay, God's answer to what we were was to impute or to credit our sin to Jesus and to impute or to credit God's righteousness to us. There will never be a more amazing exchange than that. And yet nothing less would suffice to take us out of that state that we were in and to make us acceptable before God. What else do we learn about God's answer to all that we were? What do you see next? I'm just to shout it out. Adoption. He adopted us. Ephesians 1.5 says, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Now, not every earthly father has kind intentions toward his children, but our heavenly father does. It's why he adopted us. Through adoption, God makes us his children. We are loved, cared for, taught, and even disciplined by God for our holiness. He becomes our perfect Heavenly Father. What else? What is God's answer to the unregenerate condition that we were in? Union with Christ. Okay, He unites us with His own Son. See, our huge problem before is that we were without Christ. And by the way, we loved it that way. And God's solution is to unite us with Christ thereby allowing us to share in all of the benefits and riches that resulted from Christ's obedient life, his death, and his resurrection. See, our condition was so bad that God invested the most precious thing that he had. He gave us his son, and he unites us with his son. And that was such a powerful work of God that that God says that we can never go back to what we were before Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creature. The old things pass away. We can never lose our salvation. We can never go back to who we were without Christ. Do we still sin? Yeah, we do. And we're going to talk about why in a minute. But a believer can never go back to being enslaved to sin. Okay, Sin will never again be our master. And then next we have expiation. Expiation means sin removed. It is the taking away of guilt and sin. Hebrews 9.26 says, Jesus has been manifested to put away sin, By the sacrifice of himself. That's expiation. Sin put away. And we needed that desperately. If we were going to be made right with God, our sin and our guilt had to be taken away. What's next? See where it says propitiation. That means wrath satisfied. God's wrath was satisfied through the blood of Jesus. If there was any hope for us to have a relationship with God, God had to take his cup filled with wrath toward us and pour it out completely so that when he looks at it, he is satisfied because his wrath toward us is gone because it was placed on his son in our place. And then the next one listed is redemption. It means bought with Jesus' blood. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. There's only one thing that God would accept to redeem us out of slavery to sin, and that's the blood of Jesus. That's what God provided to redeem us for himself. What else has God done? Reconciliation means to be at peace with God. If we were to have any hope of being with God, he had to reconcile us to himself. God t- had to overcome that separation that existed between us and him. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ. God did everything that was required while we were his enemies, to bring us to himself. And then next we see that he has granted us forgiveness. He releases us from the judgment that we deserve. And then the last one, the old man is crucified. Romans 6.6 says that knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. See, That's God's solution to the state of the unregenerate man. He crucifies it. It's gone. We can never go back again. He's made us something completely new. And this is all because of what Christ has done for us. On the cross. This is what happens when a person is saved, when the gospel is applied to a sinner and she becomes a saint. So, how do we shepherd our hearts with these glorious realities? Let me just ask you what is your heart doing right now after hearing what God has done for you? Is there thankfulness? joy peace maybe relief find comfort see those are all ways that these truths can help us shepherd our hearts what if we were tempted to think that god doesn't really love us or care about us would these truths turn us away from that kind of wrong thinking Would they help us remember that God demonstrated his great love for us on the cross? That we've been bought with the blood of Jesus and that we have already received his forgiveness? What if we're tempted to think that sin isn't really that serious? Would these truths help to soften our heart, to look at at our Savior, to look at Christ on the cross? being our substitute, bearing the wrath against the very sin that we're tempted to excuse? Do you think remembering these truths might strengthen us to flee from that sin that we're tempted to commit and to run to Christ? What if we preach to our hearts that we are adopted, not only God's child, but also a sister, with many brothers and sisters in Christ that we are part of God's family do you think that would help us to treasure the body of Christ our time together on Saturday mornings do you think it would help us to always be looking for opportunities to serve one another and to put others needs before our own what about when sin is overpowering when it feels like it's overpowering us. See, it's at those times that we need to shepherd our heart with the truth that the old man is crucified. It's dead, and we're no longer slaves to sin. It isn't our master. We have this glorious Savior as our new master now, our good master who enables us to walk in newness of life. See, every detail of our regeneration helps us shepherd our heart by aligning our thinking with the truth of God's word and what God has done for us in the gospel. The more that we saturate our hearts and our minds with God's great salvation work, the more we will worship him And the more we will labor to live in humble submission and obedience to him. Okay, now we're going to move on. And we're going to talk about the regenerate man. This is probably one of the most practical aspects of the gospel. And so we want to make sure that we really understand the condition that we are in right now as believers. And what the implications of that are. So all of us who are believers are in the process of of being made righteous. We were unrighteous. At regeneration, God declared us to be righteous. And right now, we are in the process of being made righteous. And that is a process. So I, I know for me, when I was first saved... I understood that I'd received forgiveness for all of my sins. And I knew that when I died, that I'd live eternally with Jesus in heaven. So I understood how the gospel addressed my past, and I understood how it would address my future. But unfortunately, it took some time for me to understand that the gospel has an enormous impact on me every day in between. See, the gospel's work in me that gave me a new identity and took me out of that dead, unregenerate condition and made me a new creation in Christ also provided for me a new way to live in Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about as we look at the regenerate man. Again, this is the condition of a believer. So if you look at the top top of your chart, you'll see three figures and you'll notice that they change from mixed gray to yellow as you move to the right. That represents the process of sanctification as we're being conformed into the image of Christ. When we start off as believers, you see in the figures that the one on the left is a little bit more gray than yellow. That's what we looked like when God first saved us. And as we grow in Christ, we're becoming more and more like Jesus as we're growing in holiness of life. What's coming out of our hearts is changing as our inner man is being renewed. You see that under the figures. It says, accomplished once and for all by God, but being renewed day by day in progressive sanctification. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. So the believer is in a renewable condition. The condition we saw over in that first panel could never be made new as it was. There was nothing to renew. It was dead. But in this new creation... This one needs to be renewed. And that renewal is a process. If you are a Christian, you are being changed. It started when you got saved, and it will end when you take your very last breath on this earth. Now, remember, positional sanctification and all of regeneration is only God's work. It has one set of fingerprints on it. But here, as we look at progressive sanctification, there are two sets of fingerprints, God's and ours, because we participate in this progressive sanctification. See, we must never believe the lie that progressive sanctification doesn't take any effort on our part. God is still active. It is his work, but it is his work in which we participate So if you look underneath those figures, you'll see it says the regenerate man. And then under that, it says mixed condition. Now, what do we mean by that? Melissa referred to it this morning. I think it's helpful for us to think of this condition from two different vantage points, our position and our practice. The position that we have before God as believers is not one that is mixed getting better okay our position before god is perfect we have been declared righteous that's what we saw in the regeneration event but when we consider our practice or our walk with christ it's not perfect it's mixed though we are perfect in position we are imperfect in practice so what does that mean On the one hand, we find ourselves with new desires for Jesus. You'll see that in the first column, that we now have the ability to obey God. The Holy Spirit indwells us and bears his fruit in us. And you'll see that on the chart. And we walk in newness. We walk in good works that God has prepared for us to do. We grow and we become more like Christ. And yet, in this condition, we find that there is still indwelling sin. We are weak. We're prone to sin. As believers, indwelling sin no longer rules us as it did in the unregenerate state, but it does still reside in us. We are still in a weak, faltering condition. But now we find that when we sin, There's conviction, and there's a desire to turn from that sin. See, the life of the believer is one of repentance, turning from sin and turning to God. That's what we mean by mixed condition. And then next on the chart, we see the regenerate man requires God's relentless transformation of the believer, as well as our own diligent pursuit of holiness. Now, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 put it together. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, that's our diligent pursuit of holiness. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God's relentless transformation of the believer. See, the whole reason that we even can pursue holiness is because God is at work in us And we must have that in this mixed condition. We must have God's relentless work to transform us into the image of his son. And because he's at work in us, we must diligently pursue holiness. We must be diligent to meet with God in his word. Because his word is one of his primary means of grace to renew us. And we must let his word transform our mind so that we're ready to think rightly and to live rightly, to go out each day trusting him and obeying him (coughs) as his faithful, beloved children who have been bought with the blood of Christ. And then you'll see that this mixed condition of the believer also requires that we we be wary about indwelling sin. You see that at the top of the next column. See, the person without Christ, the unregenerate man, that person is not even concerned about indwelling sin. They're not concerned uh, about their offense before God. And when we die and we go to be with Jesus, we're not going to be concerned about sin in that condition then. Why? Because there won't be any in that condition. Indwelling sin will be gone. But the believer, for the believer in this mixed condition, we can be and we must be very cautious and alert to indwelling sin. Understanding what God says in His Word about our weakness should tear down any false sense that we can grow or be a useful instrument in his hands without seeking him diligently in his word. At the same time, we can be encouraged that as we do that, he is faithful to continue the work that he has begun in us and that he will help us to persevere. So let's think about why. Why are we in this mixed condition? We are loved so lavishly in the gospel. We are so completely transformed that the old man is gone. And yet, we're so weak. We're prone to sin, prone to wander. And God tells us why it is this way. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4. And we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. It says, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. okay, He's referring to Genesis 1, to creation. He's saying the creator is the one who has shown in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. He has shown in our hearts so that we would understand the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's talking about the gospel. That's regeneration. Verse 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels with a treasure inside. Okay, That's the mixed condition. Now, why did God do it this way? Let's continue reading in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God... Excuse me. So that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will be of God and not ourselves. See, God designed it this way to in order to display the surpassing greatness of his power. God in his wisdom determined that in saving us, he would put us in this mixed condition where we would still sin, so that as we draw near to him and depend on him, his power is seen in a way that it never would have been if he had saved us straight into glory. See the fact that we're fighting against sin shows us how much we need him daily. And that that is so much better than when we didn't even see our need for him and we didn't even have a desire to fight against sin. In the midst of battling Ladies, we can be encouraged that we are battling sin. And God is using the very battle to make us more and more like his son. The fight is evidence of new life. So, how are you doing in your fight? Are you beholding the glory of God? Are you beholding it as you open his word? As you dwell on and think about the gospel, are you feeding your love for God? Are you repenting of sin when you see it? Are you fighting hard for joyful, wholehearted, God-glorifying obedience? Press on. God is at work in us, and we can be encouraged that he has equipped us for this fight. Okay, there's one more section, and that's the heavenly man. These future realities, what lies ahead, are God's grace to help strengthen us to persevere in our walk with God now. So let's look at the heavenly man, the one on the right side of the chart. We will one day be in another kind of unmixed condition. Where did we see the first unmixed condition? Right, over on the left, right. Before we knew Christ, we were in an unmixed condition and we will be in another unmixed condition after we die or when we're raptured. The heavenly man is in an unmixed, sinless condition. He has been completely made righteous. Growth in holiness is complete. At the bottom, you see three gray triangles labeled death, rapture, and resurrection, which, uh, with the definitions underneath. So under the description of death, you can see that death for the believer is departing from the land of the dying and going home to be with the Lord. We will never again be separated from Jesus in any way. And then moving to the right, we have the rapture. If we're living at the time that Christ returns, we get to skip death. Christ will come and catch up believers in the air to be with him, and our bodies will instantly be transformed into sinless, glorified bodies. And at that point, our inner man will be completely righteous. And then the resurrection, the last gray triangle, is for those who have died. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ will receive new physical glorified bodies, and those bodies will be reunited with their completely sanctified inner man. In 2 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 40. 2 through 58 describe those resurrection bodies so if you want to look at that later um, i think you'll be encouraged these weak perishable bodies that we now have will one day be gone and in their place we will have imperishable glorious bodies that will never die and will never sin we will be perfectly suited for praising and serving and enjoying God forever. We will be at home with the Lord and we will resemble Jesus. And that's what 1 John 3, 2 tells us. It says, Beloved, we are now children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Isn't that an amazing thought? We will see Jesus and we will experience ultimate conformity to his likeness. Wow, that's what a wonderful hope we have. So how do we shepherd our hearts with these truths? See, understanding something about our future hope, Christ coming again and raising us from the dead and giving us new glorified bodies, helps us think rightly about our pursuit of holiness now. 1 John 3.3 3 says everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, we're one day going to see Christ face to face and we're going to be like him. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we can be careless? That it doesn't matter how we live? No, that's not what John tells us. He says it means that we purify ourselves. God's word also tells us that the future gives us encouragement and hope in our trials. Paul said in Romans 8, 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, glorification realities like this are helpful in shepherding our own heart and in the way that we encourage one another. Remembering them and preaching them to our own hearts strengthens our perseverance in trials and temptations here. And it relaxes our grip on this world. And it helps us marvel at this great salvation that God purchased for us. Let's go ahead and pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Oh, Father, our hearts are overwhelmed as we think about all that you have done for us through your gospel, all of the truths that we have seen this morning. Father, I pray that we would keep these truths before us, Father, may they never become familiar to the point where they lose their impact on our hearts. I pray that our response would always be one of gratitude for all that you have done. Father, that as we think on them and dwell on them, that they would cause us to worship you, that they would motivate us to fight hard against sin, to fight for obedience to you. Father, help us learn to use these glorious truths to shepherd our hearts so that we would conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. (coughs) And Father, as we go into our discussion groups now, I pray that we would remember that we are part of your body and that we would love and serve our sisters in Christ in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And Father, it is with an overwhelming sense of awe and all that you have done to accomplish this accomplish this great salvation work for us on the cross that we pray in the precious name of your Son Amen. Jesus. Amen.